Hi, everybody. How are you? What's going on, everybody? <laughs> Welcome back to the Beyond the Wire podcast. That was a weird opening. I didn't, you know, I don't know what I was doing there, honestly. Uh, it's good to see everybody again. It's good to see you, Matt. Um, uh, thank, thank God, um, I'll say that Matt was traveling for work last week because the 4th of July, having that Monday off, had my schedule completely out of whack. Uh, so Wednesday afternoon, I'm, I'm at home. It's like 2, 2.30-ish in the afternoon. And I just grab my phone and text Matt and go, oh, my God, completely forgot it's Wednesday. And, uh, you know, luckily, uh, you were traveling. I'll say luckily for me. I was, you were traveling. Um, you we, know, we, bad communication we, on our part. We totally could have, I could have played that off like, man, Tim, I've been waiting for you for an hour and a half, (laughs) but instead I also forgot. And, and so it was one of these things where it's in my calendar. I was actually doing a video interview in a different city. I was in Washington DC in front of a camera all day for a, a production that's being put together. Nothing, not, 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 I say production. It's more like a commercial. Um, Matt's going to be a big movie star. Right, right. <laughs> well, I call myself an action hero, except yeah. this production has no action. Yeah. Um, but I, I was there, and uh, and I thought I'd have a chance to to check my emails and check my phone throughout the day, and literally did not. Like mm-hmm. we were just running from one thing to the next, and so, yeah. When you sent me that message, I was like, I'm glad you forgot, or I'm glad you got busy because I did too, and I just. Until Wednesday afternoon, <clears throat> excuse me, until that moment, I had been living out my week as if Tuesday was Monday and Wednesday was Tuesday, just completely going about my business, you know, as normal. Yep. And um, in my head, Tuesday afternoon, a, a switch went off and I go, oh my God, it's Wednesday. Oh my God, it's 2.30 on a Wednesday. I've missed yeah. the podcast. <laughs> but I can't, yeah, with, with all that being I, said, how was your fourth? I, I, I'll just say one note on that. I can't imagine like showing up and even trying to do this by myself. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. It's Matt Disher, and this is the Beyond the Wire podcast. And then I'm talking to myself the entire time. What do you think, Matt? Great question, Matt. Right. <laughs> Here's the thing. Some of my coworkers and friends would tell you that I could probably pull that off pretty well and, yeah. and just yip yap for a whole hour. But, uh, but uh, I, it would be a pretty boring show, I think. I don't know. Some of the guys, like Jocko does it. Doesn't Jocko mm-hmm. talk to the camera for yeah. hours sometimes? He, he has a pre-planned message he wants to get out there. He has mm-hmm. his bullet points, I'm sure. Um, and then he just lets it rip, you know, and he yep. does an amazing yep. job of it as well. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, how was your fourth? Fourth was good. Um, you know, nice long weekend. A lot mm-hmm. of fireworks here in the neighborhood. My my neighbors had a big party, and all the kids came, and uh, it was a good time for for everybody. It was probably one of the biggest holiday parties I've been to since I was a kid, and nice. and and I just mean that like I I feel like parties have become you know a handful of a group of people and a couple of kids that know each other. This was I mean the driveway was packed with like forty children playing basketball and stuff. So it was like how I remember holiday parties, summer mm-hmm. parties when I was a kid. It was a good yeah, the time. Old, the old summertime block party or something. Right. Yeah. The, the, and the best part about it is the guys that hosted the party, they went and, and and forked out the cash for the fireworks. So for once in 15 years, I wasn't the one paying absorbent amounts for fireworks. And then <laughs> I couldn't enjoy them because I'm running up and lighting the wicks and running away, you know, and then <laughs> cleaning it all up. So yeah, it was a good time. Uh, we, we normally host a pretty big uh, 4th of July party. Um, Sadly, this year here in PA, it was 95% chance of rain. Mm. You know, uh, I think at the beginning of the week, it was like 90%. And I kept ensuring the wife, like, oh, it'll change. Yep. It'll be fine come Saturday. Woke up Saturday morning. It's now 95% chance of rain. Yep. Just like, ah. Yeah. Um, so we we still went along with the party. The wife was asking me all morning. Uh, one of uh, my buddies was, you know, texting me. Are we going to get fireworks? Let's go. Let's go. And I said, I don't want to go out and spend, you know, the hundreds of dollars um, and then rush to put together a fireworks show. And then it just end up raining anyways. And we don't get to use them. Right. Um, The party was fantastic. It was a great time. Uh, Kids, adults, everyone seemed to have a great time. And it rained for about a 20 minute span. That's good. Uh, You know, everybody came in the house or was hanging out in the garage. I know a couple of the younger, uh, like the teenage boys. They stayed in the driveway and continued to play basketball through the rain. Um, 
so at the end of the day, people are like, what do you mean no fireworks? And I was like, eh. I wasn't going to spend, you know, six, seven, eight hundred dollars. And then what am I just hold on to these till next year? No. Right. So, yeah, um, a buddy of mine, he had a, a mortar rack and some mortars. I, I fused all those together and we went out and shot like 20 mortars off. But it wasn't the normal uh, fireworks display I like to put on. But yep. Overall, yep. good time. And then, yeah, yep. that that led to uh I don't drink very often. I drank at the party. So Sunday was a little rough Sunday yeah. morning. You know, when you only drink once a year, it, it'll, it'll bite you. Um, and then, yeah, like I said, Monday, um, woke up and just kind of hung out around the house. It was, it was a great time to uh, be around the kids and the wife and no one had anything to do. We had no plans. It was very rare. So it was, it was a good time. Yep. Hope awesome. everybody enjoyed their fourth. Hope everybody still has all 10 digits. Well, be safe out there with explosives. That's for I, sure. I heard a lot of sirens that night. Yeah, I, it's always uh, always scary. I was talking to some of my coworkers the other day on social media because I used to work for the city of Cincinnati's police department, the communications center, and I was uh, a nine one one operator quite often uh, when I wasn't, uh, you know, afforded the opportunity to be training somebody or out on the street with the with the police riding around, but. Um, that was a day that so on, on holidays we'd always get paid double time and I would forego the double time pay and I would take that day off because 90% of the calls on the, on the night of 4th of July uh, are fireworks calls and the yeah. cops don't respond to them. The, the cops are like, it's like they can't, you know, here's the thing. Like people don't realize that during the holidays, are you, like fireworks complaints, fireworks complaints. Okay. It's, it's somebody, somebody, somebody setting off fireworks. Now, I realized, I think Ohio made fireworks legal now. They weren't legal before, like it's, or it's legal around the 4th of July. And I think that the part of that legalization or decriminalization of fireworks was that the police departments and emergency services are being saturated with calls of people complaining about fireworks. Mm. And, and the thing is like crime doesn't stop. Car accidents don't stop. Um, the regular stuff that goes on in any city or suburb doesn't stop just because it's a holiday. In fact, some of that stuff gets worse on certain holidays. Like you're mm-hmm. around your, your winter holidays, like domestic calls get domestic violence calls go up. Everybody's sick of spending Thanksgiving with each other all weekend. Right. <laughs> so then they start fighting and they're drinking. And it's so uh, you had to enter calls into the, the computer aided dispatch, the CAD system. You had to enter the call in there. My neighbor setting off fireworks down the street. And since it's a real complaint and a real call, you had to enter it. And what it would do is just jam up the system would jam up the 911 lines. You'd have mm. six operators working at any time. This is probably way off the tracks of this conversation, but what ends up happening during a car accident on the highway, the rule that we'd always tell people is if you didn't see it happen, don't call. Or unless you were not standing right there with the victim, don't mm. call. Cause what happens on a highway is everybody who passes that bus on fire or that car in the ditch calls 911 and you're calling the same dispatch center that has the same six operators trying to handle an entire metropolitan area and it just gets overwhelmed. So, you know, mesh in some, you know, Billy setting off fireworks down the street and it becomes chaos. Mm. I, I was listening to a podcast the other day um, and this individual lives in New York city, um, a comedian. And, and he said, unless I am seeing something happen, I'm not calling 911. I may mm-hmm. be half a block away and I can hear someone scream or yell, or I can hear, you know, a window break or a car hit something. And he goes, if I didn't actively see it or I'm not there to witness it, I'm not calling you because there's so many people in the city. I'm not trying to win a radio contest and be the hundredth caller. Right. He goes, right. I guarantee you that there was at least, at least a minimum of 10 people that just saw what happened. Yeah. One of those 10 is probably calling 911. I mean, I could, I could, I have enough stories for years. Anybody who's done this job and and anybody in law enforcement or or any first responder for that matter could probably tell you stories for years. So I'm not unique in this regard. If you know a cop or a firefighter or a 911 operator dispatcher, go ask those people about these stories. But one that sticks out to me, there was a bus on fire. I just mentioned this a second ago, Mm -hmm. a bus on fire. Everybody's calling 911 bus on fire. Uh, as I recall correctly, the dispatch, the terminal, when I entered a truck fire, there's different codes for different types of events. Like a structure fire sends in the city of Cincinnati, or at least when I was doing this, it sends like four fire trucks, a heavy rescue truck, an ambulance, and a fire chief, uh, or five fire trucks. It's a huge response. Like everybody's going to a structure fire. Um, a fuel spill, a small fuel spill sends one fire truck. 
medical response might just be a fire truck. If somebody fell down and bumped their knee, they just send a fire truck because it has EMTs on it, for yeah. example. Instead of sending a bunch of trucks to that, there was a, a Greyhound type bus, like a tour bus on fire on the side of the road, on the side of the highway, Interstate 71. And it, you know, the, the engine's in the back and it's burning. And this, uh, the fire department's already there. There's a fire chief and two fire trucks already on scene, which was the designated or diagnosed response for this. Some dude calls and he goes, you're going to need more fire trucks than that. There's two fire trucks and a fire chief there. You're going to need more fire trucks because that fire is bigger than what those two fire trucks can handle. I'm like, sir, there is a district chief on scene with that fire. Like yeah. this guy's been a <laughs> firefighter for 30 years. I'm sure that he knows what he needs. You've got eight <laughs> firefighters between those two trucks. It was just kind of funny. Like people want to call and tell you like, I mean, they know nothing about anything. <laughs> yeah. and it, it's <clears throat> people used to call about the waterworks flags in their front yard. They'd be like, I'd oh. like a police officer to come out and take a report because somebody spray painted in my yard and put flags. And it's like, <laughs> what are you talking about? They're, they're marking a, a waterline, ma'am. <laughs> yeah, right. It's, yeah. but it's just absurdity. And, and, and this is what happens. Um, this, by the way, this is not one of the topics we we're going to discuss today, but it, it's absurdity because people will call for things that are unrelated to what emergency services do. Uh, Arby's didn't give me my change back. I gave them a 20 and they didn't give me my change oh back. My gosh. That's not a criminal issue. That's not a police matter. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's just the, all the strange things that happen. I had an argument with my, with my boss. Okay. What, <laughs> like, what do you, what? What do you want us to do about did, it? Did you murder him? <laughs> right. Well, I, I would tell people all the time. I'm like, listen, I argue with my wife all the time. We never end up calling the police and nobody ever gets hurt. So yeah. like what, what is the, you know, you'd have folks, emergency calls get prioritized based on, you know, the, the severity of the situation. So obviously mm -hmm. a shooting or a robbery gets a high response rate. The police respond to those with their lights and sirens on. And they actually police around the United States respond to very little with their lights and sirens on. And so people would be like, I'm calling because there's a dog barking down the street. It won't stop barking. It's keeping me awake. I don't hear any sirens yet. And it's like, well, they don't, they don't come out with sirens unless it's a life threatening or like a, a store robbery in progress or a child being abducted or somebody's just been shot. They don't come out with lights and sirens for that. It's um, it's a good little window into america's psyche uh, we'll, we'll just we'll leave it we'll spread it out across the entire country everybody i am the most important thing this dog down the street is not allowing me to get my sleep i am going to be tired so i am going to call the police and then i'm going to stand on my front porch looking for the red and blue flashy lights right and the siren off in the distance and i'm going to go yay you'd have people that should have called their mom but instead they called 911 <laughs> and you have people that should have called 911 when they called their mom instead. So I had a caller call in one time, like my daughter's house is on fire. I'm like, are you at your daughter's house? And she's like, no, I'm in a different state. I'm like, what's the daughter's address? I put it into my computer. So the computer will tell you if you have duplicates, like somebody calls in a fire at one, two, three main street. And then somebody else calls in a fire at one, two, four main street. I'm going to put it in as one, two, three main street. And the computer will say, Oh, we have a fire already dispatched at, this nearby address is at the same thing, right? So you have to make the determination. Are we talking about the same exact call? So we're not dispatching five fire trucks to this. I'm sorry, 10 fire trucks to the same thing. And so this lady's like, no, she's like, here's the address. So I enter it and there's not a call in yet. And so I'm like, give me your daughter's phone number. So I enter it as a structure fire. I get the fire trucks rolling. And then I call the daughter and I'm like, are, are you at this address and your house on fire? She's like, yes. I'm like, did you call 911? She's like, no, I called my mom and asked her to call 911. I'm like, your house is on fire, like se seconds count in this <laughs> yeah. situation. But Ugh. yeah, it, like, but then the girl calls 911 one time because she doesn't have a ride home from yeah. work, you know, yeah. call mom instead. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, again, stories for days, stories oh, for days. People are fantastic. Absolutely love them. They are, they're the best. It's great. That's... It's a, it was an entertaining job though. Uh, a lot of really fond memories. And, and, you know, the thing is that I can tell you stories and, and maybe I'll do this from now on on every podcast. I'll tell a story about something that, that happened to that job. Cause it was four and a half years of this type of stuff. Nice. There were the, there were the times when we really were doing really good. Like I, mm -hmm. I can, I can probably credit on my resume, you know, a handful of lives saved or really good advice to give people when they're 
stuck on the third floor balcony and their buildings on fire. You know, like what do we do in that situation? Or ta I talked a woman out of suicide one night for an hour and a half on the phone. So there, there were the rewards to that, but of course, being in that type of job, you get the absurdity as well. So rewarding job with some absurdity mixed in. That's awesome. Yep. I know, I know what Batman would do on that third floor balcony, but <laughs> well, and if Batman were there, that's what I should have said. L yeah. Listen, ma'am, wait for Batman. Yeah. Do you see Batman? <laughs> <laughs> He's you, on his way. He lives in the shadows. Look there first. I, I will <laughs> say this to to the credit of many of the first responders. I've always stood by this and not to offend any other firefighters, but I always thought the Cincinnati fire department's the best. Uh, there would be times where I entered a call. Somebody's like, there's a fire in my garage. And while I'm still on the phone with them, uh, not after 45 seconds to a minute and a half, I'm already hearing the sirens pulling up and it's, oh. it's an amazing feeling to be like, wow, I just did that. And this person's freaking out. And now I'm hearing and seeing the result of, of what we were able to do to, to save their property or save their lives. So speak, speaking of house fires real quick. Yeah. Uh, have I ever talked about the, the Memorial day house fire I experienced? No. Yeah. Uh, I so, so I was going into my senior year of high school um, to kind of age myself here a little bit. It was the same summer that Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa were chasing the home run record. Yep. Uh, my next door neighbors decided they were going to go away for the weekend, you know, the holiday weekend. Uh, my girlfriend at the time was house sitting for them. So I wasn't hanging out in my house. I was hanging out next door with my buddy and my girlfriend. My buddy and I were sitting down. We're watching a, a St. Louis Cardinals game, waiting for Mark McGuire to come up to bat. And all of a sudden, somebody's knocking on the front door. Go open the door, and it's some lady I've never seen before. She's like, you guys got to get out of the house. There's there's a fire. You're like, ma'am, Mark McGuire is up to bat. And I'm like, I don't see a fire. And I'm like, whatever. So I go back inside. <laughs> And uh, my, my girlfriend at the time uh, goes down the front porch to talk to the lady and she goes back in. She's like, three doors down. It's a, it's there's smoke just pouring out of the house. I'm like, Mark McGuire just got to the plate. I was like, it's not even hot in here. I'm hanging out to watch the bat. <laughs> Literally, I sat there. I watched the bat. Everything was fine. Uh, we walked out of the house and sure enough, um, it was a row of eight houses. Uh, if you live in a city, row homes, all eight houses ended up going up because of the mm. holiday. A lot of volunteer fire. Uh, Fighters were out and about enjoying yep. the holiday uh, gatherings. The response time was not what it uh, normally is. Uh, so by the time they got there and on scene, it was a little out of hand. But uh, yeah, 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 it is what it is. Uh, luckily, I, I happened to just it was my day to do laundry, took all my clothes down to the basement that day and had them in the washer. Um, so as you know, the fire took everything, took my clothes out of the washer once they let us back in the house and I had to take them to a dry cleaners, get the smoke smell out. But yeah. I, I thought where you were going with that was it, it turns out that somebody was just burning leaves, you know, several houses down. And instead of this person trying to take a look and see like what's going on, they just decided like, let's freak out. Cause that happens too. I used to get those calls too. Like there's smoke. I was like, what's it coming from? They're like, I don't know. And you know, and, and, and here's the conundrum. Do you just ignore it and pretend like it's not mm. a thing or, you know, in some cases like you get the 80 year old man who's like, well, I don't know where it's coming from. It's like, well, fair enough. We'll send the fire department out. But what happens in, in the middle, and I try to teach my son this. I'm like, don't panic. No matter what's going on, don't panic. Like investigate and understand what's happening before any situation. Because what people end up doing is just freaking out. Mm -hmm. And and you can watch the videos. Um, you can go on YouTube and, and watch the videos of like house cameras that catch house fires in their neighborhood. And you'll see people walking down the street and they notice the house is on fire. And then they literally just rapidly pace back and forth. Like they're there to do something, but they're really not doing anything. They're just kind of running around. You'll see the same guy like run up and down the street like 16 times before the fire department gets there. And it's like, you're panicking. You're freaking yeah. out. You don't know what to do. Just stand there and put your hands in your pockets or go bang on the door and make sure nobody's inside. But otherwise, you know, settle down because there's nothing you can do. You just have to accept the fact that that house might be on fire and your garden hose isn't going to put it out. So uh, to, to that point, I just watched a video this morning. Um, lady was driving around at the middle of the night, saw a big glow off in the distance and just was curious. She was like, I'm going to see what that is. Started driving yep. in that direction. As she got close, she realized, Oh, this is a fire. This is a pretty right. big fire. Yeah. Pulled up. Someone's garage is completely engulfed in flames. Yep. Uh, it's that one of those ring doorbell uh, footages. She runs up to the house and starts knocking on the door. Uh, gentleman comes out, he was sleeping. So he comes out in his underwear, 
and she just goes, your garage is on fire. Uh, yeah. Woke him and his girlfriend up, yep. possibly saved both of their lives. Yeah. But it was just, uh, it was interesting yeah. to see that right. somebody yeah. investigated and didn't go investigate, go, yeah. go see. I uh, similarly had a guy call me on the side of the highway one time. He's like, I just drove by. I'm on the highway. I don't know what street it is. I can give you the landmark there looked like flames coming out of a building and he was just passing by a half a mile away and he saw flames. And I looked on our map and I said, it's in this general vicinity sent out a fire truck. And sure enough, oh, wow. there was a, there was a building on fire that was like a, you know, it was an empty warehouse or nobody was there. Nobody was around. Nobody saw it other than this guy driving down the highway. So that's the thing. It's, it's panic versus let's, you know, let's yeah. go investigate and see what's going on and make a, an intelligent call. But, uh, Again, that's a different type of situation versus some of the other nonsense that would yeah. that would happen, the, the, the hard situations that would go down uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. Hi to you as well, James. James uh, James Clark, check in with us. Um, you know, let's let's get into some of these articles yeah. um, that we pulled aside for today. The first one I'm going to open up with this is uh, the ever-daunting interview question, the tell me about yourself, you know, um, too many times I've heard people go into the, well, I'm Bob and I like to play softball and I have two kids. That is fantastic, Bob. I'm, I would love to hear more about your children and we can talk about uh, uh, potentially baseball. I'm sure if you, if you play softball, it's because you have a love for baseball. Maybe we can start a conversation about that later on down the road. Uh, really what the question is supposed to bring out. Tell me about yourself. This is uh, Matt talks about uh, make your resume look a lot like the job posting. Make mm -hmm. sure you're hitting some of those keywords. This is that same practice. Maybe you're not using those keywords, but talk about your skills that are going to make you a very good and qualified candidate for this position. Um, it's There's nothing wrong with sharing a little bit of personal information, um, but that's not really what they're asking about. So, right. And, and in some cases, this is what we call the elevator pitch. The elevator pitch is, you know, the, the term comes from if I get in the elevator with the CEO of a company with whom I'm trying to impress, I want to be able to tell this person about myself very yeah. quickly as we're riding the elevator up up to the 15th floor. You know, so I have I have 20 seconds to tell this person about me and explain to them why they might why I might be an impressive person to them. Um you, you can answer this question any number of ways. I've always heard also that the question really aims to see how well you handle answering the question. If you start tripping over yourself because you're not prepared to talk or you get nervous or something along those lines, that might tell somebody a lot about, if you're coming in to be like the communications person in a company, like, well, tell me about yourself. And you're like, ah, or, uh, I like dogs and long walks on the beach. Well, how are you going to be a, you know, communications person? Uh, mm -hmm. How are you going to be a, a radio personality? How are you going to be a podcast host if you if you can't talk? And, um, another one shows your preparedness as well. Yeah, yeah, and and so there's a little bit of thought process here. You have to anticipate that you're going to be asked this question. I've been asked this question probably in all of the interviews I've ever done, even non-interviews where somebody's just sitting down for lunch or coffee. They're like, mm -hmm. well, "Tell me about yourself." I'm not interviewing for a job; they just want to know about me. So. Again, reading your audience too can be a big piece of it. If you're just meeting somebody casually, I've asked executives to meet for coffee and lunch sometimes because I just want to I want to hear about what they do and how they got where they're going because it's it's good for my own development and it's mm -hmm. it's mentorship to me. And they will ask me, tell me about yourself. In that case, in that casual setting, it might be, I'm not trying to interview for a job. It might be, hey, you know what? I'm a father, I'm a husband. I live here, I have a swimming pool and I coach baseball and football. Um, you know, in the case of a lot of veterans, this is a military specific conversation. A lot of us have a tendency to go directly to our military service because that is for many people, that's like a, a one of the primary defining factors of our lives and mm -hmm. our careers. So I've asked people this at, uh, at military career fairs before where I'm like, Hey, tell me about yourself. And the person's like, well, I'm a logistics officer in the U S army. It's like, Okay. And, and relevant enough because that's been your entire, the entirety of your career so far, but I want to know about, you know, like, what do you do on a day-to-day -day basis as, mm -hmm. as a civilian assume that I know nothing about what a logistics officer does. I want to know about you like, Hey, 
I lead 15 people. I'm a, I'm a primary driver in success around a $50 million budget. You know, 15 people are under my charge and I've executed A, B, and C amounts of missions with 100% success. Yeah. Uh, it's an elevator pitch. It, it's supposed to impress me. I want to know. I want to know, like, how, how am I supposed to bring you on? Like, what's the first thing I need to know about you? Yeah, the article brings up uh, focus and scripting. First one, ha have a script, you know, have those bullet points that you want to make sure you get across and you convey um, and begin talking about past experience and the proven success. We talked about not generalizing your numbers, put specific data in there that can really, you know, if it's a sales position and you have sales experience, talk about that million, you know, million point five sale you did six months ago with client X. Uh, you know, those, those real numbers and that real client are something that that potential new employer is going to be looking for. Uh, the focus, right. it says here, list five strengths. So in this uh, scenario, stuff like, uh, you know, strong communications, the ability to connect with people, a background, improving success and customer relations, things like that. That is really what this question is looking for. Your strengths, what that's going to bring to the job. And they want to have true to life data. And, and get comfortable talking about this stuff. Get Get in front of the mirror, tell your, your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your spouse or what have you, your coworkers, your best buddy while you're sitting down for a beer. Tell them also mm -hmm. say, Hey, I I'm practicing because I'm going for an interview. I really need help. Don't ever go into an interview unprepared, uh, especially if you're newer to interviewing. Don't ever go into an interview without having thought through how you're going to answer some of those questions. The other thing is, and it's not part of this article, but we're, we talk about behavioral based interviewing. Mm -hmm. Tell me about a time when that's behavioral based interviewing. Tell me about a time when you faced a tough situation. Uh, How did you handle it? What was the outcome? Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, that's, that's what people do. Well, I got to think about this. He, here's the, the challenge for, and this probably more resonates with anybody who's ever solved tough problems or been in like a combat arms job in the military. Tough problems are every single day six times a day, right? So you almost laugh at, you, you almost want to laugh at this question. Well, I, I can answer this in any different terms. Uh, I went out on a range and my explosives didn't explode. Yeah, that, that doesn't resonate with the civilian employer. That might not be useful to them. Tell them about a time where you had to train 15 service members on something that maybe you had limited exposure to, right? Mm -hmm. That's a challenge. How did you do it? What was the outcome? So those are also the the extension to the tell me about yourself questions, the the behavioral based interviews are taking over in a lot of in a lot of large companies, especially. Mm -hmm. It's a way that, that the reason why this is happening is it's a way that companies can uh, ask every candidate the same type of question, which makes it fair for all candidates that are interviewing. So to give you an example, if I interviewed Tim and somebody else. Uh, and I asked Tim like, Hey buddy, we're Marines. Tell me about your Marine Corps experience. And I asked him a bunch of questions and then I interviewed that other person and I didn't ask that person the same questions. It could be a discriminatory practice because now I have a bias toward or against toward Tim because we're both Marines or against the other person because they didn't serve in the military or so on and so forth. So behavioral based interviewing now gets the same series of questions. We ask people the same series of questions. We ask them to answer those questions so that we can evaluate their example and their outcomes equally or almost equally as equally as you can get. Yeah. Um, the interviews I've been part of also those, those behavioral based questions. And it's a lot of, you know, past performance is kind of a predictor for the future. You know, if, if we can ask an individual, Hey, tell us about a time that you felt, uh, you know, your boss was making an incorrect decision. How did you approach it? What was the outcome? If someone goes, I went into his office and I screamed at him for 10 minutes, eh, probably not the best. If someone comes in, right. well, I sat down, I asked some more questions. We had a conversation. I shared my perspective. At the end of the day, uh, after learning more information, I felt that he was making the correct decision and we went about him. That's probably mm -hmm. something we're looking for. Um, yep. But those sort of questions bring that out. Uh, Mike Wallace checking in with us. Uh, he puts in a, a great comment here. Do your homework first. I can't tell you how many times that statement has been said on this podcast. Uh, if it's you're researching a potential new company you want to apply for, if it's a position, if it's uh, a, you know getting ready for an interview, do your homework. Go right. into all of these things with as much information as you can possibly find, pull, and grab. Or, uh, you know, Matt, another one you bring up all the time is networking. You know, you're applying yeah. to a company. Maybe you have individuals that already work for that company, your network, or someone uh, has 
an individual in their network and they might be able to connect you and then you can really start to dig in and get some of that great information yep. from, from first-hand yep. sources. Mike, Mike also wrote another comment in here, and I'm assuming this is knowing what your number is and, and what this sounds like to me is knowing what your numbers are, like your numbers, your, your yeah. Tim, you just talked about this a second ago. I did X amount of billions of dollars in revenue, or I led 500 people, or uh, I'm responsible for a, a $20 million budget or what have you. I increased my territory by 25% compared to the person before me. Mm -hmm. percentages. They speak volumes, literally and figuratively. People like to know what you've done previously. Uh, how many people, it's the how many's, how much. Uh, it's it's for the, the bean counting. But really what that comes down to is, uh, and I've said this before, I, I say this all the time, actually, if, if I am an employer or a, a company or a private employer, uh, even probably more so for a private employer, if I'm paying you or I'm hiring somebody and I'm going to pay you out of what little profits I'm making, right? I have to grow my business and I have to have the right person on board. I might only be making $300,000 a year in profit, which means if I'm going to hire somebody at $100,000 a year, now I'm taking one third of my profits or one, one third of my operating costs and paying another person to hopefully grow by another 25%. Yeah. I want to make sure I'm hiring the right person. It's the same for a, a large company or a small company you're making an investment. If you're going to go buy a car, you're not going to spend $25,000 on the car that has a kind of a shoddy background and not a very good reputation on consumer reports. Yeah. You're going to want to spend that $25,000 on a vehicle that gets done what you need it to get done, but also is going to be efficient and useful to you. Yeah. So think of yourself as a commodity to that business. I am here to make an impact. I'm here to help you grow. Uh, and I'm going to be worth the pay that you're giving me. And here's how, here are my numbers. Yep. Yeah. The interview is kind of your own infomercial, you know, it, mm -hmm. you're sitting there, it's a new product. In this case, you're the new uh, potential employee. You have a, a small window to express what you can bring and, and what problems you're going to solve uh, that some of the other applicants might not be able to help solve. And that's, you're selling yourself. You, you need to make these people, uh, you know, hook them and make that purchase. Um, right. We have a, a LinkedIn user here, no name attached, but be honest. If you don't know, just say so. Yep. Uh, I think that's a great one. Um, you know, if there's a, a, a metric or a KPI or whatever it is, and you're asked about it, I don't know at this time, uh, yep. more times than not, you might be able to then uh, resource that information post interview, let them know, Hey, I don't know at this time. I'll be sure to get, you know, circle back with you and touch base and get you those numbers. That is a, that's a thing I learned as a, as an E3, E4 in the Marine Corps. I, I distinctly yeah. remember this. If somebody ever asks you a question and they were very pointed on this, somebody ever asks you a question you can't answer, say, Hey, I, I don't know at this time. I don't have that information, but I will find out for you. Yeah. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a hallmark of leadership. But to that point, yeah, don't go in there and be like, well, let me, one of the things we're trying to do is, you know, cause then what happens is you're, you're digging a hole. It's kind of like, digging holes with lies, right? Uh -huh, if, especially uh -huh. if you don't know the direct answer to that question, then you are effectively lying if you give somebody an answer. You're effectively giving them something that might be untrue or, or inaccurate. And yeah. so you don't want to dig a hole. This is especially pertinent if you're ever having a call or a conversation with leadership. They will take, if you're a subject matter expert or you're the interviewee or whatever, they will take whatever information you give them in that one second segment and they'll remember that. And that goes into the data bank as this person said X. So always make sure your data and your information and your, your, uh, the information that you're, you're pursuing or passing along is either defensible, like within good reason, you had a reason to understand that these were the numbers that I had, or they are completely accurate based on, you know, peer review, or this is what the system is telling me. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So let's say we go through this interview process, you land the job. You know, next Monday is going to be your first day. Our next article is going to help you out on that first day. Seven ways veterans can impress the job. I'm sorry, impress the boss at their first post-military job. Uh, number one, it's very simple for anyone that's been in the military. I think this has uh, probably been hammered into your body and soul. Show up on time and be ready to work. It's a very, very simple thing to do. And there's a saying out there that 80% of success is just showing up. Mm -hmm. It may or may not be true, but the individual that shows up on time and doesn't spend the first hour, hour and a half of the day getting the cup of coffee and having a conversation over there. And then, 
using the restroom. And as they come back out into the hallway, they have another conversation and they swing by somebody's cubicle. And now we're an hour and a half into the day. You've literally done zero productive work right. for the company. Um, but hey, you showed up on time. How about we show up on time? We log into the computer. We go through some of our emails, maybe answer a few of those and then go grab that cup of coffee. You know, start your day on time and productive. No one's going to have any complaints. This is, I'm coaching uh, sixth grade football right now. And okay. a, a lesson that I'm trying to instill in them right now is because it happens to, I don't know, 10 kids show up to practice. We get there at six and we start warming up and then they've been there for 15 minutes and they're all screwing around, throwing the ball to each other, running around. And then 10 of them have to go to the bathroom. Mm. And I'm like, Hey, listen, you had all this time. And I realize they're little kids, right? Somebody might be listening and Hey, well, they're little kids. They don't know. But I'm like, the same thing happens with adults though. And what I'm mm. trying to get the kids to understand is take care of all the stuff that you need to do while you have your free time. If you show up 15 minutes early for the job, do all those, go get your coffee in those 15 minutes to be on time. As you mature in your career and you have more flexibility, arguably you're going to be able to, you know, sometimes some jobs, let's use a sales job, for example, the sales job really depends on your numbers, your outcomes at the end, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter necessarily what time you show up unless your business is asking you to be logged in or on time, right? But in many cases, I've had coworkers do this before. I've worked with people in different organizations. I've seen junior careerists do this too where they do show up, everybody else shows up to the office, everybody's excited to see each other. And then they do this whole thing where they're like, let's go grab a cup of coffee and stand around in the, you know, the, the water cooler chat for a half an yeah. hour. And then they've gotten behind in their day-to-day -day activity. Uh, for some people, they might be kind of shaking their head and going, well, it really is about the outcomes. It's not about how many hours I work. Again, if the company has an expectation of you, a lot of it has to do with your, how you are viewed by your peers and your leadership. You don't want to be the person that always looks like you're just kind of showing up and not producing anything. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, number two, invest in your role. Uh, so when you show up, you know, on time and ready to do your job, make sure you're, you know, you got a meeting today. Make sure you're prepared for that meeting. You know, make sure you're knowledgeable about what it is that you're doing. Uh, you know, learn about the actual company you work for, the business they're in, uh, the sector of that business you're in, the industry overall. Uh, eventually someone's going to come to you and ask your opinion or ask for advice or, you know, what are your thoughts here? When that opportunity presents itself and you've prepared again, just like we talked about with that interview, you, you've, you've done your research, you're ready to discuss in, in the interview yourself. But in this case, you're ready to discuss whatever it is. This question might be posed. Mm -hmm. When you give a solid answer that first time that individual is going to go, you know what? The next time I have a question, I'm going to go back to Matt because I presented this issue to Matt. Matt immediately had a response. Uh, he gave me some great feedback, some great ideas. I like where his head's at. Yep. But that great first impression. So put that time in to learn about the role you're doing. And as, as more of those opportunities come, the better prepared you are, the better you're going to look, and they're just going to keep coming to you. I, I tell this to everybody who have ever managed or led, uh, even people that I mentor, I always say, that a you should be prepared so before you jump on a phone call or a meeting have all of your notes and nuts and bolts and stats all together right mm -hmm. make sure that you're prepared to talk intelligently about those things but i think second or maybe the second point is actually first always keep stats and metrics and keep logs of all the things that you're doing and i don't mean you know at 12 30 i had a phone call with bob and then at 12 40 i went and you know washed my hands i mean keep track of the stats and metrics that result in or impact your KPIs, your key performance indicators. It's, it's, there is, there is very little that you can do uh, to, to show other people what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis effectively than to show them statistics and charts and things like that. Mm -hmm. We talked about this before. Think about your numbers. Think about your percentages. If you have increases or decreases, have those ready. People love to see increases and decreases. They like to know, again, if they're investing more in you and more time and effort, or if you're even on a phone call with a group of people and then now you're taking 15 minutes of their precious time out of the day, they want to know that that 15 minutes is worth it. Show them what you're doing for them. It's the whiff them. What's in it for me? Show mm -hmm. them the numbers that you've impacted that, that are meaningful to them. I got that advice from a previous boss of mine, one of my 
first professional careers after the military, uh, I sat down with a, a previous boss of mine and he showed me how to keep charts and stats and to do report cards and to do regular reports and show people what you're doing. Chances are, especially like in, in my line of work, it's very easy to kind of run behind the scenes and, and nobody will ever know what you're doing until you share it with them. Mm -hmm. And so you don't always want to be the person who's just kind of back there like, hey, I'm doing all my work. I'm doing all my work, but you're not storytelling. You have to storytell. You have to be able to share with people up your chain of command, but even your peers and people beyond your peer, your, your peer group, share with them the successes and like what works best and what's not working. And, uh, you know, another note here is corporate America, business operations, et cetera, et cetera. We're, we're dying for leadership. We're dying for leaders, I think is probably a, a better way to put it. And I don't mean that to be offensive to anybody who's a leader listening to this. Like, well, there's plenty of leadership around. What I mean by leadership is taking the initiative on a day-to-day -day basis. The person who might be the junior, they've, they've been two years out of college or two, two years out of the military. And they say, hey guys, this is actually working better than this. Like, I, I want to stand up and say this because I have a better idea. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people are afraid to kind of bring those numbers. They, they're afraid to bubble those up to the top because they're like, well, I'm not a leader here. No, everybody has potential to lead. Rank doesn't matter. You have to lead. Be a leader. Look for those opportunities to share what works and what doesn't. Uh, and potentially you're impacting the bottom line somewhere. Yeah, Matt, you brought up a, a great little thing there that jogged my, my mind. You talked about, you know, sharing not only up the chain, but laterally as well mm -hmm. with, with peers in your work group, outside your work group, you never know when, you know, Matt, Matt comes to me, he's sharing, you know, his thoughts and ideas, uh, you know, his numbers, his metrics, his charts. I do the same. And one of us is doing something that opens the other one's eyes. And I go, mm -hmm. you know what? I never thought about trying that. I'm going to actually try to do, you know, very similar to what you're doing in my work group over here. See if it works. Yep. You know, some best practices may never have crossed our our desks over here on this side of the building. And because Matt and his team are trying this over here, all of a sudden, that's an eye-opener. Let me try I, that. I, I do it all the time, even with people I would call competition. The people who you know run similar programs to what I do, I'm talking to those people at events and I'm asking them, hey, what about this? Or what are you doing over here? And the thing is, you know, many of us think like this, where we're thinking that the rising tide lifts all boats. So especially in the military and veteran space as well, we're not necessarily, we're here for our own numbers, right? But at the same time, I can't hire all 225,000 yeah. people that leave the military every year. Yeah. If I could, I'd be, I'd be famous probably, yeah. but I can't do that. I can hire a fraction, a small fraction of those people. I can influence a larger fraction of those people. But what ends up happening is, well, hey, we're collecting this data or we used this resource, but we're not using this resource anymore. I do a lot of this. I have companies that call me and say, have you ever done this resource? Have you ever spent money on that resource? In fact, as we're talking, I got an email just a second ago. Somebody asked me, have you ever heard of this? Um, it's, it's one of those things where probably I have, and we probably aren't using it or we're not doing it because it's not as effective as these other three things. Uh, I'm able to share that expertise. The other piece about sharing with your peers and the people laterally to you, not only do you get good ideas, but you might also find you're duplicating efforts in some mm. cases, and you could combine forces. With our powers combined, we could be unstoppable. Absolutely. Sounds like a movie trailer. <laughs> uh, number three is be agreeable. And this one people look at, I'm not going to be the one that constantly just says, I don't want to be yes, man. I don't want to be the one kissing the bosses, but that's right. not what it means. It means that you're someone that people are willing to work with because you're not confrontational. It's, it's, the opposite. Mm -hmm. You may have a difference of opinion, but being able to speak about that, have discussions with individuals about that, share your perspective, they share theirs, and we find an agreeable, you know, middle ground. That is what being agreeable means. Uh, sometimes, you know, having having that ability means maybe your coworkers and boss will come to you when times are tough. And, hey, we really need to get this done. You know, Matt's my go-to guy. You know, I know if I bring him a challenge, he's going to tell me yes, and he's going to do it very well. But at the end of the day, really, that's you're showing you've made that good impression. Yeah. Yeah. This is it, to your point. I was actually going to say that, Tim. I was going to say the same thing you said. It doesn't mean that you're a pushover or that you're mm -hmm. a yes man. It doesn't mean that at all. It, it, it means that you're a team player. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have these conversations all the time. I'll, I'll bring up another point here from what we just talked about. Stats 
and metrics are also really good in being political uh, or being diplomatic, maybe is a better way to put it. Being diplomatic in the workspace. If you're going to have a disagreement, be sure that you know what you're talking about um, because it's really hard to argue with stats and, and real numbers. It's really hard to say if somebody's like, hey, no, I think we should spend $100,000 on a newspaper advertisement. You're like, well, we spend a fraction of that on digital marketing. We do the same thing except larger, right? Mm -hmm. It's That's how you bring that that discussion to the table, you don't have to argue about it. This isn't uh, high school sports where oh, we should have done this and should have done that. Sometimes that'll happen, but you know, be a professional, be agreeable, be a be a reasonable and and thought provoking and objective person. It'll get you a lot further, especially if you have those numbers and the data to back it up. Yeah, absolutely. Number four, move with a sense of purpose. This is slightly different than that move with a sense of urgency we all learned in in the military. You don't want to be running around the office uh, like your desk is on fire necessarily, but you want to look as if what you are doing is important because the reality is to your employer, it is. So if you're handling yourself as if everything you're doing has a purpose and is important, your, your, your boss will see this. The higher ups will see this. Uh, now, let's be honest. It's not going to be life or death situations most of the time. Uh, you know, if you're in sales, Hopefully nobody's going to, you know, be injured or, or die because you didn't make a sale. Uh, but it's important that what you're doing is important to you and you're doing it with a purpose. Others around you will see it. Your bosses will see it. It's a great, great tool. And, and it might be, it might feel like life or death to them. That's the other piece. If somebody asks you to do something or provide something, I, I get this all the time. Somebody's like, we've got a call in 15 minutes. Can you provide a couple of numbers real quick? That is almost life and death to them. It is not literally, but it's figuratively this person needs data or information or some sort of a quote or something. I'm going on a call with 200 people in 15 minutes. Can you help me? Um, that's where some of the work that you might be doing if you are supporting some other effort inside of the organization it's very important to them. It may not be important to you at that moment. Mm -hmm. It could be potentially life or death for somebody else. And that's again, where those report cards, the stats, the graphs, they all come into play. Cause someone calls you and say, Hey, what's going on with this new project? I got you guys. Mm -hmm. you, you email them a couple graphs, you throw some stats at them. You know, they can go into that meeting they have uh, in 15 minutes with, with all those good numbers and they can talk highly of, uh, of you and your group. Uh, number five is keep your personal life separate. Um, you know, with the 4th of July weekend, we had some individuals, uh, other individuals at work that were having some 4th of July get togethers, uh, you know, because I was hosting one, I couldn't go. I, I tried to do my best to keep my work life and my home life separated. Uh, there are definitely people at work that I have great relationships with. I enjoy their company. Um, but it's more of a, um, every once in a while thing where I'll do something outside of work with these individuals, because I just don't want to get into those muddy waters. That's me personally. Mm -hmm. uh, according to this article, don't bring your personal drama into the workplace. Sure. You can make friends with your coworkers, but if you're looking to impress your boss, compartmentalize those relationships while you're on the clock, don't make personal calls, put your mobile phone away and stay focused when you're at the office. Monday morning comes around. Uh, Matt and I go in the office. Matt's a big Bengals fan. They just had a big win over the hated Steelers. Hey, Matt, you must have loved that Bengals win on uh, on Sunday afternoon. We chat for five minutes. We're back to work. Yep. Uh, you know, and, and another element here, uh, although it doesn't mention it, your 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 politics and your religion. That's the, oh, yes. the things that we talk about. That you oh, don't bring those to the office. Politics and religion. Uh, opinions uh, are another thing. I guess these can all be lumped into the same thing. Your, your politics are opinions. Um what you believe in your personal life. And I'm not talking about things like, well, I believe that this resource is going to be better than this other resource. That's a work-related function. But if you come in and you're like, hey, those Steelers are terrible and you're going to rant and rave for 15 minutes about how terrible the Steelers are. And, you know, and I think it's a conspiracy A, B, and C. You're just, to, to use Tim's terminology, you're muddying the waters. You're going to make it really easy for somebody to either put you on the chopping block or to put you in a separate category of, now I don't want to interact with that person because they make every conversation about something that's completely unrelated to anything we're doing here. Mm -hmm. So leave your opinions at the door. We're in a, we're in a, a time right now of very heated social and political change and, and mm -hmm. uh, dare I call some of it turmoil. Um, and, and that means that people have very expressed and stated opinions. Mm -hmm. And those mm -hmm. are great for Facebook and Twitter and go do all that there. 
uh, don't give somebody a reason to say that, hey, now you're disagreeable. And I don't mean everybody would argue like, well, I should be able to have my opinions. Of course, you know, in the United States, you have the freedom of speech, but really what that protects you from is persecution and prosecution. Mm -hmm. It doesn't protect you from your employer. Your employer doesn't have to employ you if your values do not meet the, the values of the company or the, the organization. If you're not meeting those values politically or or personally or, or what have you, there is some bias that can that can take place there that is well within legal realms. Yeah. So just bear that in mind. If I go to my LinkedIn profile right now and say a bunch of political stuff that's off course with what my organization believes, they can very well just put me to the curb. So yeah. bear that in mind. It's also one of the reasons we try to keep this uh, as apolitical as you know, as possible, because the reality is at the end of the day, this is a hobby and what we do, we're professionals. Uh, you know, we are, while we don't bring up our companies necessarily on here, we are always and forever going to represent whatever company we work for. And we just don't need to get into those uh, sort of discussions and debates. We can have our opinions. We can share those on certain platforms or amongst certain groups of friends. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I will say that I know Netflix and I want to say PayPal. I, I might be wrong about PayPal. It might be another company, but I know Netflix just recently. I, I know when Dave Chappelle put out his last comedy special, there were employees of, of Netflix that didn't agree with some of the uh, subjects that Dave Chappelle was making jokes about. Um, and so there were, you know, like a week long, you know, standout people were not going into the building and, and, you know, saying they were going to leave the company and things. Like, uh, so Netflix, and, and like I said, I think it's PayPal. Both of these CEOs put out, you know, emails or, or uh, communications to the employees and say, when we are at work, you're not to discuss politics, mm -hmm. we're not to discuss these, uh, because it's a place of business and they want you to be focused on the business. For Netflix, I think the CEO did a great job is, you know, we are a, we are a platform that's going to host comedy, drama, action. We want to have our hands in as many different genres of entertainment as possible Sometimes you may be asked to work on certain things that might not agree with you. If right. I'm completely anti uh, anti Second Amendment, anti gun, and they want me to work on the on the latest greatest uh, you know action movie where you know 300 people get shot up in 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 war scenes, maybe that's not something I want to work on. Yeah. But this communication said, hey, there might be times where you find yourself in these situations. We ask that you do your job professionally, and if need be, and we have the ability, we can move you to another project. Or you always have the option to you know, leave the company. And, and you know, unless you're a political commentator or some sort of media source, you're really not going to change anybody's opinion no. on anything. So what it becomes is, is griping. And I've always said this in the age of social media, we all have a voice, but let's be careful or let's be selective on how we use it. Because what ends up happening is when, when it's constant, just, I disagree with this, or I disagree with that, or constant to the contrary. I really like this. I really like this. I really, you know, Hey, no matter what this group does or this politician does, it's amazing. And it's the best thing ever. Or no matter what this group or this politician does, or this company does, it's terrible. It's terrible. You're not offering anything. Uh, and this is actually number seven on our list. We mm -hmm. didn't get to number six yet, but you're not offering anything other than gripes and complaints. And, and chances are, unless somebody is, is really impressionable, you're not going to change their mind. Um, well, since we kind of started hitting on number seven, we'll skip six and go back. Yeah. Uh, so number seven is bring solutions, not problem. I want to say it was Mr. Jeff Hancher, who's been on the show a handful of times, says you are paid based off of the problems you solve. Yep. It's the solutions that you bring. Uh, so, um, you know, when we talked about it earlier, when, when someone comes to Matt Disher, he's, he's been at the company now for a month. Someone comes to Matt and says, Hey, here's a problem we've been looking at. What do you think about this? If Matt just goes, ah, I don't think that's going to work in this. And what are you guys doing over here? If he looks at it and says, well, I think with a couple tweaks, we might be able to do this, this, and this. And here's how we can solve this. He's now provided solutions. He's pointed out maybe some flaws or concerns, but he's also helped to try to provide solutions. That's truly the value add there. And that's really what each employee should be looking to do is add value to every situation they're in. There's a statement that goes something like, don't come to me with a problem unless you have a solution. Mm -hmm. And this is a this is something that a lot of leaders might say. A, a, a high level leader has to think up in the strategy, right? They're not they're not thinking about the little nuts and bolts that get screwed in. They're thinking about the whole product, the airplane that has to be built, not the four rivets on the wing, right? Yeah, yeah. So 
if you are a junior or mid-level careerist and you're in that organization, you don't show up to your boss and go, hey, man, like, the, you know, the, the eight to five isn't working. And, the, you know, what do we do? Because the boss could be like, I, what do we do? What do you mean? What do we do? Like, I don't have an answer for that. Or, hey, man, these four rivets didn't get screwed in on the wing. What do we do? CEO of Delta Airlines. Yeah. You know, CEO of Delta Airlines is not thinking about that. We call um, our mechanic and have him right, <laughs> right. Maybe. But but what you what you might come in and do is say, hey, on, and I'm not calling out in the airline. I fly I fly Delta almost. You know, I fly Delta all the time. But but what they might do is come in and say, hey, if this is an ongoing problem and there's a solution to it, hey, I've noticed that these four rivets are not screwed in on this airplane wing almost 98 percent of the time, and I have a solution that would fix that 98 percent of the time and save us some money and some safety issues, et cetera, et cetera. That's an example of bring solutions. You ha you you identi identified and diagnosed a problem, but then you also identified and diagnosed a solution. Mm -hmm. And so now you may have just fixed something that everybody's been wondering about fixing for days and months and years. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And going back here, number six is show that you're a team player. Um, I think this is a great one for, for veterans. One of the biggest reasons employers love to hire vets is because we're all team players. We've all been thrown into basic training platoons with people you've never met from, you know, all over, all over the country's locations. And you learn to come together as a team. You form amazing bonds. Uh, in the last interview I did, I actually brought up the fact, you know, from my military experience all the way through my professional experience, it is proven time and again it doesn't matter the team. It doesn't matter the people, religious, uh, political backgrounds. None of it matters. You put me on your team. I'm there to do the job. I'm going to be a team player. Another great thing that veterans continually, uh, continually do is those, uh, you know, the, the unnamed leadership roles. Uh, when I first got my first leadership opportunity, it was presented to me that, hey, some of the other leaders point out that when there's a need for leadership. You tend to be the one that, you know, we have you guys in a group over here. There's no real uh, supervisors or managers around. You tend to be the one that stands up and you know takes the lead here. That's exactly what we're looking for. And that's what a lot of veterans do because they've been in these scenarios over and over again throughout their military careers that it's nothing for them. When they see a problem, they go, oh, well, nobody else is willing to step up. I'll do it. Right. Hey, now we start kind of dictating and, and pointing things out and giving direction. And things start to flow smoothly again. But yeah, uh, you know, number six, show that you're a team player. I don't think this should be a problem for any veteran out there. It's not hard. It's not not a problem for anybody in general, right? I mean, it's this should be a just don't be the difficult person on the team who's who's like, hey, great ideas, but I want to be the contrarian. That's a, a really mm -hmm. frustrating position to be into or a person to be working with, a person who wants to be the contrarian, who wants to be the quote unquote 11th man or the the person who's like everybody's getting along i'm going to come in and stir up the pot unless it's absolutely strategically necessary to do that but we don't need people don't need the person who is uh like hey, i got a terrible idea that i want to raise and and put, put a wrench into everything let's again it goes back to the other points we made be diplomatic be objective mm -hmm. look at the thing and say like does it does it need to be fixed how do we fix it not, um, hey, I can't play along with your team because I just disagree and I don't know why. You you brought one up earlier. Um, you know, you're you and your team are sitting around uh, in, in the meeting room and you're discussing. Uh, you know, we want to. We have a hundred thousand dollars we're going to put into advertising this year. We want to allot eighty thousand of that towards social media. Uh, you know, we want to put uh, ten thousand of that into print, and we're going to put another ten thousand onto radio or podcast, whatever it is. Uh, and then someone. You know, everybody's in agreement. You're all, well, which site should we go after? What podcasts or radio shows should we go after? What newspapers or magazines? And I was like, oh, well, in my day, everything was in the newspaper. We need to put $90,000 right. of that into the Yeah. No, hey, no. don't, we don't need, we don't need that right now. <laughs> like, yeah. It's, yeah. it's just making the process a little bit harder if you can't. And again, I, I, I say this with caution because there are elements of this where if you are recognizing that everybody is jumping on, again, the wing with four broken rivets mm -hmm. and everybody's like, no, just keep doing what we're doing. And you are the 11th man. You're like, well, hold on a second. The thing's broken. That's different. Yeah. But if 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 you are the person coming in, you're like, all these experts have all these really good ideas, but I'm just going to be a contrarian just because I want to make a name for myself. 
that becomes really difficult to, to the, the teamwork becomes challenged. Well, you're going to make a name for yourself and it's not going to be a good one. Right. Yeah. Right. If, and if it, what you're presenting it, yeah. is, is uh, addressing a safety concern. It's going to increase revenue. It's going to solve a problem by all means. But if it's just to be contrarian, just to be contrarian, right. That is not being a right. help to the team. It's right. not, you know, you're not solving anything. So, uh, yeah, that's going to wrap us up for this week. So Matt, another great conversation. Appreciate everybody checking in with us this week. Again, uh, you can find us on all the major social media platforms. Check us out there. Give us a like rating review. It helps us, uh, you know, stay in that algorithm. I don't know how it works. I'm not a mathematician, not that smart. Really? I'm not, uh, <laughs> other than that, uh, we're on all the major podcast platforms as well. You can check us out, uh, share with a friend, share with a family member. We appreciate you all so very much. And until next time, we'll be right back here on beyond the wire.